Welcome to Hindu Lounge Conversations Over Coffee. Join hosts Ajay Shah and Utsav Chakrabarti as they talk to fascinating guests. Hindu Lounge Conversations Over Coffee is brought to you by Hindu Policy Research and Advocacy Collective, Hindu Pact, an initiative of World Hindu Council of America. Now, sit back, relax, take a sip of coffee or chai and join the conversation. Namaste everybody and this week again for Hindu Lounge Conversations Over Coffee, we have for the second time in our Hindu Lounge shows, Sahana Singhji. Now, Sahana Singhji probably is very, very well known to most of you who are listening and watching this. Uh, she is an author and a commentator from Texas. She has written many books uh, and she has been an expert on uh, she has been an expert on water and environmental issues, and her work has been presented throughout the world on this issue, on these issues. She has written the book, uh, The Educational Heritage of Ancient India, How an Ecosystem of Learning Was Laid to Waste. And that book was uh, received very well. So here is another book from her that was just released. Revisiting the Educational Heritage of India, published by Vitasta, and it was released in September 2021. So today we are here to discuss that book and to discuss all the different questions that will arise, that can be discussed, that Sahanaji will bring to, to forth for all of us to understand. And we also have here Ajay Shahji, who is uh, the co-host. Actually, I am his co-host for uh, all the Hindu Lounge events. And uh, <clears throat> hopefully you all will enjoy this conversation. And uh, Namaste, Sahanaji. Welcome uh, back to Hindu Lounge. Namaste. Namaste, Namaste Utsavji, Ajayji. Yes, I think last year I was talking to you about the violence in Bengal. Uh, and this time now it's about my book, which is actually going to be launched today in a couple of hours. The US and UK edition is going to be launched. Yes, yes, and uh, we are fortunate to have uh, the pre-launch uh, pre event <laughs> of the launch. The pre-launch event, yes. Yes, correct. correct. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So, Sahanaji, I, I will just dive in because, you know, everybody is eager to understand and listen to what, what the book is all about. So, tell us about what, you, what was the first book about and what prompted you to go for the second version? So, the, uh, the first book was about, the, the title tells you, it was about the educational heritage of India because I felt that many of us are uh, reading the bits of knowledge which was generated from India, but we don't know the adage, there was a process, how there was an ecosystem. So my first book was devoted to uh, giving up very sketchy, de uh, sketchy details of that system. It was a snapshot, you could say, because there is so much, if one gets into it, then it's going to be a very voluminous book. So my first book was very small, could be read in a couple of hours, and it gave you a picture of the Guru Shishya Parampara, how the how the uh, students used to live with the guru, learn from the guru in the midst of nature, those kind of things. And then uh, I jumped into all that was created, the kind of knowledge that was created and which was um, transmitted to the rest of the world. Because students 
coming from around the world, uh, learning from the, the, the top gurus in the top cities of India. So it was all about um, the universities of ancient India. And then I described how this system was damaged, destroyed by the invaders and later uh, even more by the colonizers because one was physical damage, physical destruction of universities and the other was mental uh, deracination which took place un under the colonizers. So I gave all that and I stopped at that. I ended there with the destruction and with the hope that we do something about it. And after that, I got so many emails, so many, uh, you know, so much feedback that they want, people wanted to know more about it. And they also wanted something positive, you know, how, what can we do about this? Can we bring back our lost heritage? Uh, and then also, since it's a journey for me, I kept learning more and more about the topic. Uh, so the, and then I realized that there's a sea of information that I need to give uh, to add to the first book. So I decided to uh, use my pandemic uh, uh, enforced lockdown time at home to do more research. Uh, that was a very productive time for me. I managed to read so many books, access so many documents. And then I wrote the next, uh, I mean, like it's it's actually you can, you do not need to now read the first book. The second book has everything in the first book plus more details. But the first book is for those who have the patience to read a more detailed book. They want to sit in a flight and finish the book. For them, the first book is gives them a summary of uh, what the educational heritage was. So that's how it happened. And so there are many things in the new book on the same topic. And it delves deeper into Brahmacharya, uh, you know, the memory techniques we had. Ancient Indians had extremely good memories. And it has been mentioned in way by foreign travelers as well that how these people remember everything. They need not even be very educated for that. Even the dhobi, even the shopkeeper, how do they have such great memories? So that was actually one the informal education that we had. Memory was very important. And the stories, you know, so the, I went a little bit into the pedagogy in the second book. How stories were used to teach, how games were used to teach. We had so many educational games. Uh, snakes and ladders was educational. Chess we all know. Cards were invented in the playing cards. It was also a strategy game. So I went into all that. And also in the end, of course, I spoke about what can we do today uh, to use the best parts of our ancient education system and weld it with what we have today and root out what is not good. So that's what my second book is about. That's fantastic. Uh, you gave a wonderful overview. And you know, you have more than 200 new references in this book that uh, that was not before available in the previous book. So one question that people will always ask, and probably they have already asked you this question, and it comes to my mind every time I talk to people who are not accustomed with our ancient knowledge system. There has been no record of a lot of things in the last 70 years in independent India's, uh, you know, the pedagogy on this issue. Uh, we continue our history books, our even university books continue to refer to uh, the Greek sources and ancient Persian sources, uh, you know, pre-common pre era Persian sources. And they pretty much stop at the point the Greeks stopped. You know, before that, they just don't go. Even though there is enough evidence, enough archaeological evidence, nowadays even genetic evidence on from, from remains of people, that there was a very well-developed civilization, there was a very well-developed education system. So how do you how do you deal with this uh, conflict of pedagogy and uh, how does your book reconcile with this and how do you deal with the debate that happens because of this 
So you see, lots of um, uh, information is there which has to be taken out from our own uh, shastras and from the commentaries. There have been many, many commentaries which are written on all the shastras. So because it was an oral tradition, it was taught orally. But more details should be written in the commentaries because paper came later, writing came later, and in fact, uh, the gurus did not like students to write down things. They wanted them to remember things. So earlier, writing was discouraged, even though it was available. because they knew that once you write it you will not remember it and we see that happening today we think it's all there in the hard disk we don't need to remember and so we don't remember anything uh, so um, all that evidence that uh, is there you know it was not uh, i mean we still have millions of manuscripts that have not been translated because so many foreigners came to study in india they took manuscripts with them we have uh, 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 manuscripts in japan in china mongolia we have them scattered all over and of course the colonizers took the biggest of the, the loot and uh, if we make a catalog of all the manuscripts that they have taken and put they uh, taken away you know the french the dutch the british that itself will become a thick book thick book giving you the names of all those uh, manuscripts and they are lying in museums many of them they are lying in various libraries even here in america uh, and uh, in the original forms are not translated and uh, we do not have enough number of people who know sanskrit vedic sanskrit old sanskrit to actually know what's written in all of them we need a good number of people to look at them uh, so yeah the what we have access to uh, we had access to was mostly the colonized Uh, writings the missionary writings colonizers writings and that's that's what shaped our education policy but i think i am very thankful to google because ever since google came and then lot of these have been uploaded uh, so since the time i wrote my first book and uh, the gap between my first and second book i found a lot more uh, books were available on on google in various libraries uh, in the us i'm very grateful to these libraries even uk the british library and so of course you have to pay something uh, so most of it is not free you have to pay something and you get access so yeah we have to piece together our history it's this is a challenge it's there but it's not given like uh, in one place so you have to read it out you have to go back and learn the languages learning sanskrit is very important learning all the even chinese because if you are very good in chinese you can go and look in the chinese libraries in the taiwanese libraries where they have our manuscripts uh so uh, this is how i think the our history is being pieced together uh by all these uh, by technology and by people who are interested and now the government is also taking interest on in the under the new education policy and the indian knowledge system iks project right they are actually trying to bring it all back into the mainstream but what we need is now qualified people committed people people who know more than uh, hindi and english they need to know many languages uh, and go into depth of it and they need to be rooted in the culture so for example most of us are educated in english me too and so many of these practices look alien to us because we are not insiders to it right it took me years and years to understand that when i'm blowing out a candle on a birthday i am actually doing something which is meaningless it uh, in our culture we do not blow out we light a lamp to signify the new beginnings you know knowledge auspiciousness we light a lamp we don't blow out so you know we are all very rootless in that sense so the more rooted we are we go to, and we need to travel uh, within the country meet the some some of the practices that are being followed by rural people will actually lead us back to our own understanding of the of our culture and make sense of what is written in the shastras as well
ఇండియా Uh, which are very similar garu uh, soda so so speaking of you know you mentioned about the colonizers taking away our uh, our manuscripts a lot of them being outside india in in western capitals in western museums western libraries similarly you know a lot of them being in china and 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 taiwan and probably even tibet and mongolia yeah. so 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 it is it is really fascinating that there is a much much bigger portion of our historical record despite us being an oral tradition uh, that has simply gone missing because of the islamic invasions uh, the re- the ones that survived probably made it to the western capitals the ones that were protected before through buddhism or traditions of buddhism made it to the eastern capitals and eastern cities but there were massive amounts of documents that were in the indian subcontinent going all the way uh, in in western khorasan what was called khorasan later on you know the steppes uh, going down into what is present day khyber pakhtunkhwa in afghanistan the massive you know educational institutions with huge libraries all the way up to nalanda jagaddal takshila and you know all these all these places are going down to the south and the south was actually ravaged not in uh, too long a past like only 400 years ago the tipu sultans were ravaging the south so can you tell us uh, what your experience has been in dealing with that missing information how you dealt with it what was your experience Yeah so you see mine is a very cursory look at everything so for me this is part of the journey because i am also learning sanskrit i am getting exposed to say nyaya shastra there is somebody every now and then who shares his knowledge of nyaya shastra i am trying to learn panchanga uh, so it is uh, we in a way we are all groping uh so uh, it's uh, very difficult sometimes to find that uh, those the sanskrit enabled people have access to all these things uh so you know we, uh, so this is uh, uh, there is a lot of missing information but we are uh, you know i feel that if we approach we all approach it together with shraddha uh and with the determination then slowly we will we will succeed and i can see that happening i can see that you know there are individual efforts which are doing so much like somebody uh, there was a person called mohit bharadwaj who found out that people in their houses were keeping uh, old manuscripts which they didn't even know what is in that so he embarked on that uh, mission to go to all those houses and scan all the documents upload them he himself put his money together bought a scanner portable scanner because you can't use the regular scanners for that and then he started doing that so you know all these efforts and i think they will coalesce one day uh, so you know when we all enough number of people realize what 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 is missing and what we need to do about it uh, i think it will all come together my experience has been very uh, uh, interesting and also a lot of uh, a lot of hard work uh often i have been i have requested people to just send me what they have you know just can send me please i keep bothering them until they send it to me uh, and of course our own people obstructing this we have a lot of our own deracinated people who think what is there in what good what good you will you get by knowing these things history is something that happened in the past why do we need to know what happened in the past move forward this is our own people talking like that and they don't understand the wealth of information that we could uh, that we are not mining by looking into this right 
and meanwhile there are others who are patenting this information those who are <laughs> uh, all this knowledge that we had right like there are so many herbs in ayurveda and our own people our own indian origin people are patenting because we don't know about that in the, in india we haven't done so yeah, this has to be a multi pronged effort and multidisciplinary uh people with knowledge in a, in some subject very deep knowledge in some discipline should also have knowledge of sanskrit or maybe they work with people who know sanskrit so that is the kind of opportunity multidisciplinary uh people working with sanskrit enabled and even tamil enabled because let's not forget there are manifold manuscripts in in tamil kannada mother tongue kannada uh and i keep hearing about some wonderful things written in in uh, kannada books on science books on engineering in kannada uh and they will what wealth will they yield what knowledge will they yield we need to know the language for that so though i am uh, my mother tongue is kannada i grew up studying english hindi and bengali uh, i studied in calcutta so i don't know how to read kannada so all these uh, efforts have to be made for us to know what is missing even to know what is missing is a challenge fantastic and and since you since you mentioned the fact that you know in in this entire process you had to meet a lot of people you had to request them a lot of a lot of them did not give you uh, support either so was there any formal support from uh, libraries in western capitals you know because they have a lot of manuscript uh, did you did you have any issues working with them what what was your experience with with western uh, See, i um, if i'm not in that university it's very hard for me to if they have not uploaded it or if they have uploaded it and it's only for members uh then uh, so i used to try and find students who are studying in those universities <laughs> i i would beg them to please give me the give the password they have so that i can go and use it and some of them were kind enough to give them give me a password others said no sorry we can't do these things you know so i'll beg professors and through friends friends children give me the password so that i can use that book of course when my daughter was studying in austin she helped me a bit then she graduated and then i said come on can i still use that library and she says you have to i don't know what you pay some 10000 dollars or something for lifetime membership quite a lot of money will be needed to have access so it's our knowledge which is with these people which they have uploaded of course some of it can be blamed on ourselves because we were negligent enough and even today there are uh, in varanasi in kashi there are bookshops that sell old books and uh, they are being taken away by people who come from the west uh, and they just give massive amount of uh, money and they take everything away So that is there some of them are not meant to be sold as well they are taking away that so the same things that used to happen in the past murti stealing of murtis uh, stealing of manuscript is still happening today that's fascinating because you know unlike unlike western uh, uh, actually the vatican has one of the largest libraries in the world and they have made it a point to record everything uh, because their record keeping is part of their conquest literature you know it is important for them to show their conquest from the past to continue their conquest for the future uh, we never had those uh, geopolitical or theological attributes or intentions you know the most we had was monks traveling across the world scholars traveling across the world exchanging information between different capitals uh my next question is that you you said that you worked in 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 some of the li- libraries and some of the information that came from china taiwan and uh, you also have a background in uh, i believe in uh, traveling to singapore uh 
or, or those regions. So I, I lived in Singapore. Yes. So, you say, yeah, so I, I knew that you, you you lived there and you spent some time there. So what what's the information that you got there? How helpful were they? And what is their response to the idea that you are working with? Like, do they understand what you tell us more about it? Well, I mean, I didn't work officially with Singapore on this. So again, it was the same thing. NUS library is available to those who are students of NUS, professors of NUS. Uh, so I did not use much resources from there because more, most of my journey started after I moved to America. Uh, when okay. I was in Singapore, I think I was not as civilizationally aware as I am today. And my, you know, the responsibilities were different. My, ch my child was younger and I was in a totally different uh, uh, period of my life at that time I was in Singapore but it's all it all happened when I moved to the US and when I saw my daughter's uh, high school textbook what it says about India uh, that's when I really got into all this so yeah I mean I have mostly been using libraries in a in a in an individual capacity not by really uh, talking to the authorities uh, but um, trying to go it go through the students go through the professors and uh, get the books out of them that kind of thing um, so, other, of course, the thing in Singapore and all would be that there is a lot of Buddhist influence. So, there is, they are also trapped in that dichotomy where they think Hinduism and Buddhism are two totally different religions. Uh, and, you know, so they'll be giving, attributing a lot of things to Buddhist thought. When actually, what you need is, uh, that is not what it was if you go back into history. People did not see uh, Hinduism and Buddhism as totally disconnected religions, nothing of the sort. Buddha was also a guru. He was a Hindu. And he would be shocked if today he went to uh, any of these universities, maybe even Singapore, and he found that his teachings are now put under some uh, separate religion, which has nothing to do with Hinduism. That's not the way it was. Uh, and he also was, I mean, taking people from around him who were there, um, and he was uh, very happy with Brahmins uh, joining the monastery, he always wanted, in fact, wanted Brahmanas because Brahmanas were the custodians of knowledge. They have so much knowledge, they work so hard, they maintain the right conduct, code of conduct to give respect to the knowledge that they are trying to gather. And so Buddha, Buddha wanted them to join his force so that they will help in uh, uh, disseminating. Right. So uh, I think these nuances are being missed uh, even in the Eastern universities, I feel that. So what we need to do is something totally different. Yes, take whatever has been written there access them and then use your own lenses our own uh, understanding uh, to to uncover what is in those texts absolutely in fact since you mentioned uh, brahmanas and, and and buddha traditions mm -hmm. you know some of the biggest known scholars of uh, bodha traditions uh, ashwaghosh nagarjuna kumar jiva they actually in their own writings and in their followers writings are always called as brahmanas in fact nagarjuna was considered a brahmana uh, uh, kumar jiva who actually was a Kash half kashmiri and uh, half uh, turkmenistani uh, and he actually preached buddhism in china in fact, he's considered the father of Chinese Buddhism. He's also considered a Brahmana. Uh, so, so this is, yeah, this is, these are some of the things that our own Hindus have forgotten. And and uh, I remember having a conversation with a leftist professor from uh, from one of the in universities in Kolkata, uh, and and of course that person is a PhD and and is supposed to be very well uh, very well uh, knowledgeable and well read about these things. She mentioned to me and she almost was arguing with me that there was no Buddhist uh, no Hindu scholarship in history. The only scholarship that India had or the Indian subcontinent had was Buddhist scholarship. 
So she and she kept on naming. Oh, Nalanda was a Buddhist university. This that, and I said, well, have you ever thought that Aryabhatta was he a Buddhist or a Hindu? Uh, uh, you know, I I named out like ten scientists: Brahma Gupta, Aryabhatta, Susru, Charaka, and all of them were Hindus who were contemporary of Buddhists as well. And there was no difference between the two. And the in, and in fact, some of the largest compounds of the uh, Nalanda University was built under the Gupta Empire, which is considered by the same scholars as the Brahminical epitome of uh, <laughs> Indian history. So, they have been doing wonderful work. Yeah, they have been doing wonderful work yourself in explaining all this. I am more focused on the you know activism side of things, but I I am also very inclined towards knowing more about these things. They all work together, but you know the th- tradition that I I feel that we have to really challenge within India is that we have to come away from this slicing and dicing and putting things into box narrative that has been gifted to us by the Judeo-Christian and Abrahamic traditions and and. Have, what is your experience in that aspect? Uh, have you butted heads with uh, scholars in India? How they have treated you? What, give us something more about that. Uh, I think this is what happened in social media, where I have butted heads with people. I think if I look back, uh, I have done a lot of that. There were even a Greek person who had come somewhere, and he was saying that, "Oh, we have done everything. You know, we. I respect India. I respect your history, but you know, you can't claim that you did things that we did. You know, those kind of things." Uh, and so I had uh, had a clash with him and other such people. It has happened mostly on uh, social media. And so right in my book, uh, right in the beginning of my book, I've talked about this, that, you know, uh, we should not make this distinction between Bodha Dharma and Hinduism. Of course, there are they are different sampradayas, but, you know, it is actually wrong to treat them all as different religions. Jaina, Buddha, all of them contributed to the same pool of knowledge. They came out from the same pool and they contributed to the same pool. Uh, so there are... Um, Buddha himself has never said it. So those are the things that I keep telling people. But yeah, we have to engage a lot more with the academicians because they are in their silos and they are going on insisting about uh, talking about Buddhism. Uh, And the funny thing is that in Nalanda also, right, people, what were they studying? They were studying Nyaya, they were studying all the Darshanas. And they were studying Bodo Dharma. And uh, if you see that when it was destroyed, what did the, this person write? The chronicler of that, Minhad Siraj said that we killed so many Brahmanas in Nalanda University. So he said that. All the Brahmanas, Shividya Shavan heads uh, were lying dead. So they themselves are also saying that, right? So why are we making this distinction today uh, and kind of, yeah, boxing it? And that, uh, that, that stops us from understanding the whole culture and the civilization. Even the concepts get too narrowed down and you don't get it. Uh, and it's building divisions in society. There are a lot of Buddhists today who hate Hindus. Uh, so I keep hearing about it and I wonder why. Because you have come out from the same tradition. Uh, Buddha also, what was he? He was a prince. Uh, and they were all Hindus. And then he came and he was allowed everywhere. He went and preached and everybody listened to him. Uh, and it was a tradition of debating, which is also our uh, Hindu culture of debating. People watched the debates. They went with whichever guru they found better, made more sense to them. And they all coexisted. Yes, there were some heated exchanges, sometimes uh, physical also. But overall, I mean, it was a, a land of uh, debate and learning and seeking. That's what it was. Yeah, and I think we need to take this message to the uh, universities. We need to have more dialogues with them, uh, but they don't even allow us. Do you think that um, I will be invited to speak to the students over there? I'm not sure. Uh, of course, I will keep making that effort, 
so somebody like me would i be invited to come and speak in uh, mit on this topic or in uh, harvard uh, if they allow this dialogue then you know we can actually have those exchanges that you are talking about right now it's more in the realm of uh, social media i see i see so since you yourself have worked with the western knowledge media like national geographic and you know organizations like that have you seen any interest in them because national geographic seems to churn out content after content on trying to prove that you know jesus existed and mm. you know off late that has been their uh, their, their storyline for so many projects that they have funded have you ever talked to them or has there been any conversation that you have done with organizations like national geographic about maybe the hindu heritage of afghanistan or something anything on that sort well i tried getting op-eds published in washington post because they have published two two of my op-eds in the past uh, that was you know personal stories that i wrote about moving to america or what my life was in singapore they published all that the moment i sent something about hindu history uh, heritage then there was no response so i wrote to the editor and i said look why are you not responding to this if you have something that you don't like let me know we can talk about it there's absolutely no response so uh, i have but uh, not got any response from new york times uh, washington post and all of these so maybe uh, you're right i should now approach national geographic i have not actually discussed with them but from time to time i do read what they are writing and i see that they've totally missed the perspective they've just they do not regard any evidence that has come out from india uh about about our heritage about our contribution to science and the uh, knowledge philosophy just a passing mention so that is one area yeah i would love to talk to them and uh, know what why why they are not publishing uh, other uh, other viewpoints uh, or other uh, asking the giving them a chance to to uh, to express themselves that's not happening there is a certain mold uh, of people that they want among the journalists national geographic right and i am seeing i i know somebody who uh, who works there and she has that mindset you know you have to be uh, an india basher you have to disapprove of everything that's happening in the country then you can easily publish there so you have to come from that background you can't come from a background where you think that we have a great civilization great heritage we contributed to the world and then you say you want to write to uh, national geographic i don't think that's uh, that has not been i have not seen them being accepted or welcomed most of the deracinated ones are there that i know uh, sanjay so i uh, one question that I, you know that comes to my mind is that we you know today we have a particular education system that is you know quasi global now in terms of what we learn in schools and what we learn in colleges and all that and we have you know uh, we've been talking about the ancient you know indian educational system hindu educational system how do, uh, going forward if you have you know a vision and if you have a you know ability to implement it how would these two converge where do we, what would be the next step in your in your view and bringing you know the indian thought indian educational system into the uh, into the modern you know quote unquote modern uh, educational system as it exists today yeah i think you see first of all i think uh, we need uh, we need to understand all the literature in the past that all our sacred literature that has to be made easily accessible to the students 
So, and that's what I believe NEP is going to be doing. It's going to introduce this uh, Indian Knowledge System course, which is going to be introduced in schools and colleges. So, everybody has to do that module, where they will be exposed to what is in the Vedas, what is in the Upavedas, what is in the Vedangas. So, that is a very important starting point. At least, in even if it is in English, try to know what is in all these texts. And then I think we also have to, there has to be a big push to make people learn languages and explore the old literature in that language. So if you are a Bengali or if you are a Kannadiga, Tamilian, try to explore the old literature in that language because in, remember in those times, some, a lot of Sanskrit literature used to be translated into the other languages for easy accessibility and it was constantly happening and the other way around. I also learned that, uh, for example, old Kannada uh, literature was also translated back to Sanskrit. So that we have a, it was, that was the global audience. So it was very, I was astonished to learn that Kannada books were also being translated to Sanskrit because if a very good work came out in a regional language that used to be translated to Sanskrit. So I think all these things have to be told to the students in every discipline. So if you are studying engineering, for example, there has to be a course where you are taught about Shilpa Sutras, you are told about the, the Shilpa Shastras and how engineer, the history of that subject, the history of that subject which will invariably lead back to India. That has to be taught. So whether it's physics, chemistry, biology, most of these subjects, if you go back, the original, uh, the, the beginnings of that subject, you'll find that it leads back to India. And that students have to be made aware, our own students in India. It has to be part of the education. You can't have a textbook saying that Magellan went around the earth and that's how we know that the earth was round. I found that in a child's textbook when I went to Bangalore this time. That Magellan, when he went around the world, came back to the same place. Then they realized that the earth is round. And that is so hilarious. When you can, you go back to old text 3000 BC and they are referring to the earth as a globe. So what do you mean by Magellan came discovered that the earth is round, right? So, so our, what I would like to see is that all our textbooks are, uh, are reflecting the real history of that subject whichever subject it is, start with that and make people aware of all these beautiful texts that we have and then give a summary of that, make them excited and interested about that. If you want, make games out of them. Like now today we also have games on Mahabharata, Ramayana and uh, you have to know the names. Even the names are so beautiful. What are the meanings of those names? Those kind of things uh, can be done. Uh, so sometimes I do that. But I have done that with my daughter as well. There are some people ask me, how is it that your daughter is so rooted in India? She has never been, she was born in India, but she moved out. So these are the things. So we are Hindu parents have to ourselves know our history so that we are also able to make it interesting. And our ceremonies, when we do our religious ceremonies, we should know what we are doing. We should be able to explain to our kids instead of forcing them to do the same thing. Uh, so all this has to be somehow woven into our educational system. Uh, so there have to be, it has to be a multi-pronged effort as I said, different organizations have to work with the government. Like I am with an organization called Samskara Foundation, which is uh, trying, to, uh, trying to help children understand Samskara, how to do Nitya Puja, how to uh, celebrate different festivals, why are you doing this, different, this Samskara, making it interesting to the children. So we are doing that. Uh, this has to be part of the education because if you remember in ancient India, education was also not just about having information that you know what is physics, you know what is chemistry. It was also about building your character. So uh, a Brahmacharya period, would a student who comes out of Brahmacharya would have complete control of his mind 
so if he sees a very beautiful woman and he, he knows not to you know go crazy over that woman make advances make himself uh, uh, annoying and irritating to that woman he will now know that he has to control this and if he if he has been taught the kama sutra if he has been taught all those you know even panchatantra then he knows how to behave how to you know how to understand the world so all that is part of the education so this has to be there have to be very carefully thought out courses that have to be introduced the process has started because i'm seeing a lot of discussions happening on the indian knowledge systems how do we include it and uh, and i saw one of the first books that came out it was very well written it's explaining different uh, shastras it is explaining devasination so there's a course and we need to add more and more to that i would love to work with uh, the authorities in india to bring out more books like that so i'm trying to reach out let's see where this all leads yeah so, I, I, there's also hindi university of america and i think uh, maybe a good partnership with hindi university of america uh, would also be helpful and uh, you know uh, i'm i'm part of hindi university of america as well hmm. and i think uh, i i see a lot of potential in making the you know the ancient indian educational system uh, kind of have a, you know is some kind of a fusion with the modern american educational system so uh, it's certainly a topic of conversation and further discussion and consideration yes yeah, hindu university of america is doing an amazing job i know the people i know kalyan vishwanathan uh, and i totally support them and i see i see that a lot of good people have joined them also i know them all yeah. but i was trying to look at india because it's in india that uh, you know the maximum number of people are being indoctrinated in india once they go into the education system they join some uh, school uh, where everything is being taught they taught Mag- magellan and things like that right, right so right. i think that the biggest work uh, we have to do is in india of course it can happen from america as well because sometimes they look up to america and if they see something good happening in america they will follow that example so we are trying that as well here but the biggest work is in india that has to be the karma bhumi you know, I, i i i agree with you i just have a little bit of smile on my face is because uh, you know it it took yoga to be popularized in america for it to be become popular again in india right. so you know it is uh, i so i and I, and also we have a second and third generation of uh, you know hindu kids in america and a lot of people who got introduced to uh, hindu dharma through ayurveda at, at a store like ayurveda or uh, yoga and meditation through mindfulness and other things and maybe maybe there is another way of kind of um, uh, you know approaching you know approaching okay. so uh, approach you try to do computer and then you try to work from there and let's hope it all meets and comes together right yes. right uh, apologies i don't have a very good voice uh, because of my cough so i'll turn it over to sada so that guy thank you thank you adivai yeah you you did well despite not being able to speak at all uh so so sahana ji coming back to the question of you know it almost looked like there is a there is a lack of uh, professional um, global philanthropic support for the work you are doing uh i see a lot of indian uh, billionaires millionaires multimillionaires uh, both in india as well as those in america uh they feel very uh, they lack confidence in in the the uh, revision of our historical knowledge that is happening right now uh, in the right direction so they continue to like you know they, i would see a billionaire go to harvard or go to berkeley and 
sponsor a chair that perpetuates the same logic and the same narrative uh, and the same falsehood in many extent to uh, in some places that was being perpetuated before even though that person fully understands that that is not right but they just lack confidence and uh, in in actually supporting something that they could help build uh, a better india with and they will go back to the same because that's where their prestige lies in you know they themselves probably graduated from such an institution so how do you deal with that problem i'm seeing that all over the place now you no know, mm. minds and hearts are in the right place but they just lack the confidence to to back something that can revive it in a new way so how do you deal with that how, what do you suggest that uh, you know even hindu university of america and ajaybai is part of it it's making new strides but it's been long overdue i mean it, it should have been this way in 1985 we are 35 years 40 years behind so so how do you deal with this so this is the problem so we have to i think have more dialogues with these philanthropists and make them understand that you know they are funding the wrong institutes wrong people uh, not setting enough uh, safeguards so that the you know the money is used well and it doesn't go back into that same uh, dirty pool uh, so we have to do more education of the philanthropists i think uh, that is one thing and then of course people like me uh, if we if our books do well like you see you saw vikram sampath's book doing so well when vikram sampath's book did well then savarkar came back into the mainstream and then people understood the noble sacrifices that savarkar made right and uh, now now vikram sampath is in, uh, invited to mainstream channels where he is interviewed and so savarkar is now gaining more acceptability so things that have been branded as bad and negative uh, you know they, there is a reconsidering considering that happens when a good author comes and presents a balanced view of that of that person, of that uh, revived character in history so i think uh, where i am working on where i can do something is writing those books so i have for example written this book on india's educational heritage and i the more i meet the, the, the people the more i tell them that this is what you need to know about india do not put everything in the, in the boxes of brahmanism feminism this and that that ism and then you you just uh, take out all the good things which india did and then you secularize it all the good things that india did and then all the bad things which you know you just call it call that as hinduism so this is an education that we have to impart to people that this this injustice that you are perpetuating but you see i still have hope you know because i think movies like kashmir files which became so successful recently right uh, again a filmmaker who was totally in the margin right he was not uh, his he was not his uh, movie was not even being talked about by the the movie magazines right but still his movie was made successful by people like us and so the people was hungry for the truth to be told so i think these are the kind of things which will probably convince these philanthropists that you know uh, put the money in the right place and invest in getting good scholars who will come and uh, prepare the narrative for you give money to those scholars who want to write books who want to do research enable them so that they come out with books like uh, what vikram sampath has written j sai deepak his book you know uh, india that is bharat and uh, i would put my book also in that category so these are the books that will uh, probably change the narrative and get these get the mindset to change in the philanthropists as well i hope can't hear you one last question about your book uh, that that you know that a lot of people would want to know and probably this question has come up to you before uh, it certainly comes to my mind for sure 
you know, there is the India, which is the geographical entity of India today. And a lot of our scholars uh, work within the boundaries of what is India since 1947 to define the knowledge systems, the education, the history of India. And then there is the Bharat, which as a civilizational entity ranges all the way from, uh, you know, the Caspian Sea to, to the Strait of Malacca. Uh, and there is enough historical evidence and enough periods in history that were long enough to create that civilizational continuity. So in your book, uh, the little I saw, uh, you do venture into Afghanistan and you do venture into, uh, you know, the Sri Lankan southern region. Uh, you haven't gone all the way to, to, you know, to the Caspian Sea and you haven't gone all the way to the Strait of Malacca and Java and, uh, you know, uh, Bali. Do you have plans to do that? Where do you see that in the context of your book? Are you referring to my first book? Because in this book, this, this latest book that I have, it covers Southeast Asia, it covers Japan, okay. uh, it covers all the regions of the world which uh, sent their scholars to study in India and which took knowledge from India. So yes, that was missing in my first book. First in my book, first okay. book, uh, The Educational Heritage of Ancient India, I did not talk about Southeast Asia. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, the, I was being bothered by that. So I made sure that this time all that is included. So I've included uh, things like, you know, even in uh, Angkor Wat, uh, in, when we go to Cambodia, uh, that, you know, that the ruins that we see is actually a university which was modeled on Nalanda. So I put all that information there. Yes, there's enough to talk about. Uh, and, and I've talked about how Sanskrit united Japan. So when Sanskrit started spreading in Japan, then all the earlier Japan was very divided. Uh, it is thanks to Sanskrit chanting that the whole country came together. So those are uh, some of the tidbits that I put together in this book. So I don't it's think it's you brought it brought it into this book. I I had seen a graphics that was part of your previous book, which from which I was referring to. Uh, I did not know that you had done the whole. So this is this is why it is important to have a broader two hundred new reference version of uh, older book. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, thank you so much for doing this, Ajay. Do you have questions uh, for Sahanaji? So so uh, Sahanaji, one question of course is where do people get the book from? Oh, it's available on Amazon. So if you happen to know my name, you just type my name on Amazon. Uh, you okay. will get both the books. There's, of course, a danger that somebody might buy the first book because the names are similar. One is Educational Heritage of Ancient India and the other is Revisiting the Educational Heritage of India. So if they get the um, second book, they will get more uh, details. But yes, it's available on Amazon. And in addition, uh, there is a publisher uh, who publishes an, an American publisher, Global Collective. Uh, so they are re they're relaunching the book. Uh, so it's a, the U.S. edition of the book is now available. Uh, they can get it from the Global Collective uh, Publishers website or they can order it from Amazon also. And I think it's available in a few bookstores as well in America and uh, UK. Apart from India. In India, it's available quite easily in uh, bookstores as well as in uh, various websites, Amazon, Flipkart and all of them. So uh, thank you, uh, Sahanaji. But a couple of uh, you know related things. So we have one. Uh, uh, we have a Hindu Heritage Month that is coming up in October, okay. and I would like to invite you to kind of give some thought as to how we can use the opportunity of Hindu Heritage Month. Uh, last year, when we had this event, about twenty-seven states proclaimed uh, Hindu Heritage Month. <laughs> so I'm trying to uh, let's, uh, maybe we should figure out how we can use that occasion to highlight the ancient uh, Indian educational system as part of the broader Hindu heritage. And the other is, you know, 
really, uh, what is the best way to uh, propagate uh, this thought among the Hindu youth uh, who are growing up in America? So those are the two things that you know we would like to kind of really uh, talk with you and get your thoughts on, and how we can you know how we can further these two. So I'd be very happy to engage with you on Hindu Heritage Month and speak to youngsters. That is something that I've been doing and I've increased it. So in fact, I'm going to Atlanta uh, in a few days where we are doing the Samskara Foundation Camp and there are lots of young people are coming there uh, and I'll be teaching them about India's educational heritage. So please connect me to as many young people as you can. I'll be happy to talk to them and if they have more questions, also direct them to the sources, to you know, the books that they should read, the people they should talk to if I'm not able to give them the information. So please, I'll be very happy to work with you on this. Thank you. Yes, we really hope like, you know, you are in Busboys and Poets signing your book and that would be the ideal uh, venue for uh, Americans experiencing the the knowledge that they need to know about the, the educational heritage of Absolutely. India. Absolutely. And maybe, you know, I'll get ideas for my next book as well uh, because I get so many questions about, you know, why do we worship the cow? Why do we, you know, have this caste system? So I think all these topics need to be also addressed in my next book because these things, there are a lot of myths about India, a lot of misunderstandings that need to be cleared up. So please let me know whenever there's an opportunity. I'll be happy to interact. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Ajibai, do you have any more questions? Uh, so we had a wonderful uh, audience interaction as well. So thank you. I just want to thank uh, all the audience, Jay Bansalji, Indrani ji, uh, Tara ji, for uh, for actively commenting and writing while you uh, while Sahana ji was speaking. And uh, thank you for your good questions. Hopefully, we we were able to answer some of them. And uh, good luck to Sahana ji. Uh, and uh, in a short while, you will be releasing your book, launching your book. And uh, this was a fantastic pre-launch event, I hope. And thank yes, you, Ajay Bhai, again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much thank for inviting me. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much.